This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We should gird ourselves for real change, driven by all these different forces, technology, consumerization of care, digitalization, the decentralization of care. We can look to the past for examples of how that might play out because we're human beings after all, and we don't change that much over time. But we should expect that we are in a period of real change and that we need to plan for that. That's what I would say. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Jamie Zage. I'm excited to introduce to you a very special guest, Trina Sideros. Trina is our new Senior Vice President for SG2's intelligence team. Trina is also enrolled in a Johns Hopkins History of Medicine's master's degree program. I have always been intrigued by the history of medicine. It's a topic I've been fascinated by. So I thought it would be really interesting to get Trina's perspective on how the history of medicine and care delivery can teach us what to watch for as we anticipate change in the coming years in healthcare. Trina, thank you again for taking the time to be with me today and sharing your perspective. Thank you so much, Jamie. It is great to be here, and I am always excited to talk about the history of medicine. Welcome. You're welcome. Let's start by just a little background on your unique pathway to coming into this SG2 leadership role. Yeah, so I describe my career usually as two careers. One was journalism, which I did for 17 years. I covered healthcare on and off. My last journalism job was as an investigative reporter in science and medicine at the Chicago Tribune. And I live just outside Chicago. I've been here in Chicago for uh, 23 years now. So that career set me up for the next chapter in my professional life at PwC's Health Research Institute, which was that firm's independent healthcare research think tank. And there I covered everything from new entrants to pharma life sciences companies to regulatory issues to providers and payers and employers, the whole gamut. And then I came here to SG2 and Vizient to lead up the intelligence business. I'm just thrilled to be here. I could not be happier. And in that, at the beginning of the pandemic, I enrolled at Johns Hopkins in their School of Medicine's History of Medicine master's degree program. I've been doing that on the side for fun. We are very excited to have you leading our ship, as they say. I'm curious with this master's degree program in the history of medicine, what prompted you? And even pre-pandemic, what made you make that move? When I was covering healthcare as a journalist and then working at a professional services firm in a think tank, the pieces of information that really fascinated me involved the history of medicine. I was always curious about why hospitals are structured the way they are. Why is our payment system the way it is? Why are drugs regulated the way that they are? All of these different pieces, how do patients view physicians and clinicians and why and how has that changed? These questions always came to me and I was always very interested in trying to figure that out. And I think for readers when I was a journalist and for our audience when I was at the think tank, having that context helped lay the groundwork for talking about what's to come. Because as everybody knows who's in healthcare, the industry doesn't move very fast. Almost everything that we see today that we think are modern problems, you really can trace back very far. Learning where we've come from and why really is a good way to talk a little bit about where we might be heading. 
that's been a nutshell why I went into it. When I saw that Johns Hopkins had this program, I was so excited. It's a remote program. Most of the students are clinicians or people who are in healthcare in some way. Almost all are mid-career or late career. All of us are pretty far along in our professional careers and excited to be there and learn about the history of medicine. Probably some interesting perspective coming from all those different angles that everyone comes from as well. What's been your favorite class so far in this history of medicine program? Pretty crazily, back in the fall of 2019, I enrolled in my very first class, and it started at the very beginning of 2020. And the class was on the Black Death. Sure enough, as we were starting in on this, the pandemic began. The parallels between the Black Death and subsequent pandemics and epidemics are just completely eerie. This is one of the kinds of things that if you study the history of medicine, you see that the past really can predict what happens in the future because so many of the elements of what we all experienced during the pandemic, you could even see glimmers of them back in the Black Death hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I would say all the classes are my favorite classes. I've loved all of them, <laughs> but that one just felt so relevant. And I would bring, when I was at PwC, I was at the think tank then, I would bring to our partners and directors and our consultants little bits and pieces from my class, and they would bring them to the clients. And it was this incredibly rich context to add to the chaos and confusion that we were all living Talk about having a real-life case study to support all of the education you were getting, right? Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, we wish that that hadn't happened, but it was a way to understand what was happening to us and understand that it wasn't a one-off situation, but is just a horrible, tragic part of human history that goes back as far as humans have been gathering together. You alluded to this a little bit, and the reason that we wanted to connect you here is we need to continue looking forward. As you look at those historic components that you're learning through the History of Medicine program, what have you learned from that will help us think better about anticipating the future, what we need to do differently, or how we need to react differently? Is it any lessons learned there that you'd like to share? Yeah, yet there are so many learnings from the past that can give us at least a line of sight into what might happen in the future. One beautiful example of this is if you think about the current state today where we have this decentralization of care. So we have care moving into the home, care moving close to the individual patient through their smartphone, a lot of choices now and fragmentation of care. You might wonder, well, this feels very modern. It's all facilitated by technology. But you can really look back at the 19th century in the United States for some clues about what this could portend. Back in the 19th century, care was delivered in the home. The hospital was almost non-existent. It was an almshouse, a charitable health care center for folks who could not have care delivered in their home. And so people, if they were ill, they would be in their home and healers of various kinds, physicians, herbalists, midwives, your neighbor, apothecaries, the whole gamut would come and be invited to try to treat the illness in the home. 
what you had was this very aggressive free market place for medicine that existed in the 19th century in the United States. The outgrowth of that was, in some ways, actually, the physician profession and then eventually specialization as different groups wrestled for control over the healthcare spend. But if you look at what happened during that period of time, you saw an enormous amount of choice families that could afford it. So we're not talking about all American families. This is really, I'm thinking, white middle-class families, if they could afford it, would bring in lots of different people to come try to treat a single illness over time. If you think about today and what that might mean, you could imagine that if someone gets sick, you might try out a lot of different options for one illness if you had that kind of choice. And so we might see or you might guess that we'll have further fragmentation of care and multiple caregivers offering care on the same kind of illness at once. And so that stickiness and the referral patterns might be in jeopardy because of that. So it's one kind of thing to look back at the 19th century and say, what did this kind of marketplace mean? And then ask ourselves, is that applicable at all to today? And I think there are some learnings or at least some patterns that we should be considering looking forward. Yeah, it's those patterns that repeat themselves that they always seem to come back around for sure. And I know you mentioned payment and, and some of those things as part of the learning of the program. And I know we always talk about the 90s and capitated care and we're headed back there again, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's what seems like a modern problem, or at least a modern situation, which is the complicated funds that fund our hospitals. So all the different payment types and sources of payment that come through the hospitals, that flow through hospitals. That is often thought of as a 20th century birthed idea or birth situation. But the truth is that's not true. The hospitals in the United States, from their very beginnings, had very complicated payment mixes. They had charitable donations. They had private payments. They had actually something that is akin to insurance through merchant seamen who would pay into a fund in their state. And then if they were, say, from Massachusetts but got sick in South Carolina, Massachusetts would pay South Carolina's hospital for that. Hospitals were already dealing back in the 19th century with very complicated payment mixes, just like they do today. That, too, is a learning. It's a question of whether this is a structure that has been there since the very beginning. To change that takes quite a bit of effort, as we all know very clearly. That's really insightful. As you look at where healthcare is going, and I know we've been having, as you've been coming on board, lots of conversations around how we reshift our focus to the future. Do you have any wisdom or ideas or vision, maybe is the better word, on what you think healthcare leaders need to do now to prepare for the future? I think understanding where we've been, just because of my bias with the history of medicine and the many, many echoes that we experience today from the past, that understanding that past is really important. Understanding that change in healthcare has been glacial, as we all know, but that it doesn't have to continue to be a glacial pace and that actual change is coming is important. I think it's easy to say, sitting in healthcare and looking back over, say, 20, 30 years, that very little really has changed in terms of how care is delivered and where it's delivered. We've had all kinds of technological advances and treatment advances, of course. You know, the mRNA vaccines are an example of that. 
But the structure of how we deliver care really doesn't seem to have changed that much. However, in healthcare, there have been sudden changes or real changes. If you look at hospitals, they started off as almshouses where you would go as a last resort if you could not get care anywhere else. But that's not what we have as hospitals today. Over a period of time in the late 19th century, all the way through to first half of the 20th century, we had the formation of the modern day hospital. And it came to be what we know today, including the AMC structure, hospital system structure, all of it, physician-centered hospitals that we have today. And that's an example of a real change. Lots of different forces came together to create that situation and the modern day hospital. I think we are in that same moment today where we have forces again converging on our industry, starting to push toward a new way of delivering care that will look different than it has in the past 50 years. That is something to keep in mind for hospital executives who might be thinking, my experience is things have changed very little over the last 30 years or 20 years. We should gird ourselves for real change, driven by all these different forces, technology, consumerization of care, digitalization, the decentralization of care. We can look to the past for examples of how that might play out because we're human beings after all, and we don't change that much over time. But we should expect that we are in a period of real change and that we need to plan for that. That's what I would say. I would agree. We're in an almost revolutionary stage. There's so many pressures. It's almost like things have to change in order to get us moving forward again. I have a fun question for you, and I've heard you talk about this. Tell me your top three favorite podcasts. Oh, that is an easy one. This one, let's do two perspectives, <laughs> is one. I adore This Week in Virology and all of the associated podcasts This Week in Evolutionary Biology, Twivo, and all of those. But This Week in Virology, I really love. It's hosted by Dr. Vincent Racaniello up at Columbia. He's a polio virologist. He's one of the authors of Principles of Virology, a textbook that is the textbook on virology, which I own, both volumes one and two. As a fangirl of virology, not a scientist, and I think This Week in Virology is a perfect example of a podcast that speaks to an audience that is highly specialized to scientists and also is accessible to myself, a non-scientist, and to my 15-year-old son, who is also obviously not a scientist. The science communication that is done on that podcast is absolutely top-notch, and it's always fascinating. So I love This Week in Virology, and I also really enjoy Amicus with Dahlia Lithwick. She's a slate legal writer and lawyer. She does a very masterful job of explaining complex topics without talking down to her audience and not dumbing it down. Healthcare is the same kind of topic where it can be extremely complex, but if we do it right, we should be able to explain the most complicated and sticky questions in a way that is accessible to all, but also is smart and interesting to those who are the most specialized in our field. Those are some high bars to set. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited again to have you as part of our SG2 team and leading us and appreciate you sharing some of the insights from your History of Medicine Master's program from Johns Hopkins. Thank you, Trina, for being with us and sharing your thoughts. And thank you, as always, to our listeners. 
Thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.